Hey there, we're the Westlap Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John McComb. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Well, guys, I, I think before we get started, um, quick disclaimer, this following podcast may contain explicit language. Um, I, I know we were all very upset. After- I was, I was going to say, there's someone, was it someone posted about it uh, right after the game that was like, I'm not going to let the Westlot Pirates make me optimistic about this team on the next podcast. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, uh- no worries of that. This is going to be, you know, our post Stanford podcast was was catharsis by way of kind of anger yet excitement for what we saw on tape. This is going to be catharsis by way of like shared depression. Yeah, I mean, this loss to Michigan State was demoralizing on every single level. I mean, just from from top to bottom, you know, like and and let's let's start let's start with the offense. I mean, or no no, you know what? Let's start with the defense. The defense I thought played as well as could be expected. Michigan State did not run away and hide. They they you know at halftime they only gave up fourteen points. You know, it was fourteen to three at halftime. That should be enough to to keep you in games, and it was enough to keep them in games. But you know the complete ineptitude of the offense, you know, it just left him hang out to dry. So let let me spell it out because, you know, we went back and forth with Michigan state through, you know, the the latter half of the first quarter, the beginning half of the second quarter. And it wasn't until we threw that pick that they kind of woke up, they drove down, got a touchdown that, that really changed the the complexion of the game to me. But even then, I, I think the game shifted, a driver so earlier, but we'll get to that. Well, I, and I, at, at halftime, I you know my my day basically take was, well, crap. They they scored off of our turnover. We didn't score off of their turnover, right? Like, um, and then in the second half, our our first four drives, three plays and out, three plays and out, three plays and out, four plays pick. At that point, it was thirty one three. Right. And like, like our, like our defense didn't have, like, didn't even have a, have a chance. This is, we're leading with defense because we're not going to be spending a heck of a lot of time here today. I think you all know where we're going to be going. I will say, right, that I think two things can be true. One, this defense was absolutely hung out to dry in this game, just like you two guys said. And secondly, this defense also played well below its own standards and its own expectations. And the tackling bug was out a little bit again. Pass coverage at our number two corner spot is weak. Um, And general pass coverage from the secondary is weak when you factor in the fact that we played a lot of 3-2-6 and even 4-1-6 in this game. Like a lot of defensive backs were on the... Uh, on the field, not covering particularly well. Um, with all that said, uh, we, you know, it's the same point, 14 first half points, um, s- really seven, because in a microcosm of the overall experience for the defense, because of what the offense did, uh, the defense would have given up seven in the first half, probably if we wouldn't have thrown an interception that gave them a short field close to the end of the first half. 
Um, with all that said, and again, this is to the point. Everything it was, si- it was it was still sixty two yards. I don't know if I call oh, it short, but fair fair enough. The and opportunity that, was granted, and that goes right, and at, and that goes to the point too that um, again, on one hand, offense totally hung the defense out to the dry. On the other hand, there was a point in this game where Pat Fitzgerald dragged the three starting linebackers to the sideline and chewed them out on the sideline for several minutes. And that point was after the first drive of the game. So to say things went great from a defensive perspective would be wrong. Like, this was not great. I mean, this linebacker unit, which should by all intents and purposes be one of the three or four best in the Big Ten, is still kind of finding its way right now. And again... Yes, things would have been so much better if the offense would have shown up, but the defense has a ways to go. The reason that we So here here's something here's something interesting. Um, you know, we were talking to some uh some folks in in the stands um in that game uh with some, you know, knowledge of of NFL scouting and you know, it seems like Patty Fisher's stock is dropping. Like based on the first 3 games of this year. I mean, he was a first round pick going into this season and it seems like that's starting to drop off a little bit like these missed I'll, tackles are not doing him any favors well also not doing him favors was being juxtaposed in this game with his supposed doppelganger joe bocce who played out of his effing mind in this game whoa nelly talk about a guy who you know looking to play himself into the first round um he was a, a a holy terror. Shades of what Chase Winovich looked like, you know, when we played <laughs> Michigan last year. Watching the film again, and I watched a lot of film to diagnose what was going on with this offense. Um, Batchy was just everywhere, and that guy just made a bunch of plays single handedly that that certainly shifted the game. But again, St- it's like starting for your uh, 2020 New England Patriots yeah. fifth round pick, Joe Batchy. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, so I like. I think it's worth pointing out this is three games now that the defense has has performed below expectations and standards. I mean, I think they really found themselves against UNLV forcing turnovers and et cetera. And one of the things I noticed in this game was a lot of push. The Michigan State offensive line was 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 getting a ton of push up the middle. And, and, you know, we were all talking before the pod like, gosh, what is going on with this D? We don't seem to have any answers. It's like they just need to figure it out. I wonder if the loss of Jordan Thompson is being felt a little bit more keenly than than we anticipated. Um, he's a guy that you know graded out spectacularly well for a defensive tackle in the Big Ten last year. I think I think he was number one or number two from Pro Football Focus perspective um, against the run. Yeah, yeah, especially against the run. And if you think about the structure of our defense, the idea of is that the defensive line occupies blockers and allows Patty Fisher to flow to the ball. That's the, that's, that's the way our defense has, has operated for a long, long time. And I like these things feel related to me. Now I, I do think as that first half went on, like Patty Fisher put some, put some statements out there and looked pretty damn good. But um, I don't know at the same time, like this, this defense does not feel like what we thought it would be coming into the year. Right. And they still may get and they still may get it together. And again, it's like it's not like we have solutions. It's like Jordan Thompson is the easiest thing to point to, but it's like we play minimum eight guys defensive line. We send them in and out in shifts. It's squirrely and of and it's magnified by what's going on on the offense. It's like I, if we had scored thirty something points in this game and the defense had given up twenty, regardless of like individual plays, we probably wouldn't be talking about it. 
I did notice later in the game um, Travis Willock playing in that like nickel defensive back role closer to the line of scrimmage, um, much in the vein of uh, Kyle Cairo. I think Trayvon Henry played in that in that spot at times um, back when I think I'm remember, remembering that correctly. But that I always thought that that gave our defense a lot of flexibility. Um, Nate Hall was so good in pass coverage and in the open field as a linebacker the last couple of years. We didn't need to do it as much, but um, I wonder if we see more of that uh, over the coming weeks, um, especially when we're dealing with mobile QBs and, and teams that are going to try to, to flex, um, maybe not true run pass options, but but flexing more of a more of a dual a- attack. And Lewerke certainly brought that skill set to the table. I mean, there were a couple plays especially I'm thinking about that touchdown drive before the half ended where we had him dead to rights in the back for backfield. And, and, you know, we've seen him what three, three times now, maybe. Yeah. I think three times now we've seen Lewerke and that's always been part of his skill set. He's, he's very slippery. He's been able to get away and extend stuff. And, you know, for the first time in four years, like we brought, we brought a, a, a bonkers game plan to Michigan state that made no sense. It's like we prepared for the wrong team. Yeah. And and speaking of preparing for the wrong team, um, let let's turn our attention to the offense. So, um, so, so before we dive in, can I offer a for our listeners, especially some of our newer listeners, a brief retrospective on the Westlot Pirates' approach to Mick McCall? Please do. So we're going to go in the wayback machine a little bit to uh, to twenty to two thousand nine and two thousand ten. And doing during these two seasons, these were, um, I believe, McCall's first two years as OC. Is that correct? Did he take over in 09? Yeah, I think uh, I think that's right. Yeah, and he, he he and Hankowitz were roughly the same time. Yeah. So, um, and he he had been quarterback coach prior to that, but in 09 and 2010, there was a young man on the Northwestern Wildcats football team named Venrick Mark. He's the fastest player that has ever played for Northwestern, and we would scream from the stands every single game, begging, begging the offensive coaching staff to put him in at running back, which, of course, they or, or just to give him the ball. Just please put the ball in his hands. And then every week, well, I guess in 2010, we didn't have a podcast. Um, but in 2011, every week after the game, we would bemoan the, the fact that they weren't using Venrick Mark. They didn't know what they were doing. We weren't getting, you know, we weren't getting the type of offense we wanted. Um. Under 2011, they finally put him at running back, and guess what? He became an All-American. Uh, he was incredible. In the post-2011 season, um, we spent the next three years effectively calling for Mick McCall's head after just about every game. And there were, you know, three basic tenets to, this, to, to, to the Mick problem. Number one was just this propensity, and this actually started back in the 2008 year when Mike Kafka was QB, this propensity to just throw our running back into the line, um, just dive plays over and over uh, with with no regard to down, distance, um, defense, uh, matchups, anything, and just this over-reliance and insistence, uh, insistence upon running the game and establishing the running game. Um, you know, all, all else be... be you know, forgotten. That was that was the most critical component. The second big problem was turtle shelling in the end of games, and you know we'd get a lead and going back to just that that incessant run the ball up the middle to to, to kill clock. 
And then third, just a lack of creativity. And that's, that's the one that's really persisted. I think, uh, I think the team got better, um, finishing games. I think we've, we've turtle shelled, you know, maybe less over the last several years. Ho- uh, however, you know, the play calling in weird spots has gotten, has gotten problem problematic. Here's where I really want to land philosophically. Like we, we yelled about this dude, you know, off and on for the better part of, of, of five or six years. And after 2013 and 2014, two years in which Northwestern went five and seven, the offense was abysmal and Mick McCall didn't get fired. We were like, well, look, this guy's never going to get fired. He's like a vampire. Let's just focus on everything else and, 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 and go in with the understanding that this is how Northwestern is going to approach games. We're a, we're a team with a defensive run game mentality a bit old school, a bit Harbaugh-ian, if you will. And uh, look how, look how well that's doing for Michigan. <laughs> well, yeah, that- yeah. Case in point. Right. Um, and that, you know, we, we were going to accept it. So this, so this, you know, we, we've not spent the last, you know, handful of years calling for Mick McCall's head. We've, we've called things what they are. Our offense is what it is. It's going to be in the, you know, the eighties of S and P plus our, our, our coaches approach every game with the idea of they want to, they want to win a one possession, low scoring affair for whatever reason. Um, but this game, this game warrants, um, a return to maybe some of our earlier, uh, perspectives. Yeah. I mean, like the game plan was horrific. You got Michigan state coming in here with, an insanely good rush defense. We know this. This is not a secret. This is not something like, oh, you know, people are, other people have been able to run. No one has been able to run on Michigan State. Period. The end. The past several years, we beat Michigan State by throwing the ball. So what do we do? We run the effing ball. So. All day long. Absolutely. And here's the thing. And this is what's really important because I'll admit I didn't see it in the moment and it took Fitz's comments in the post game and that leading me to doing some pretty intensive film study for it to start to come together. And I'll be honest, it's made me want to revisit some earlier games. The game that everyone and Scuzz, I'm amazed in this that I mean, I give you credit because. There wasn't much left of me after you went to Venrick Marktown and had you brought up 2015, <laughs> had you brought up 2015 Iowa on top of that, that might have finished me off. But the 2015 Iowa, which is yeah. probably arguably the worst football exhibition I can remember seeing from a Northwestern team, is the game that ever that this game is sending everyone back to. And I'll be honest, this game and what I saw on film is making me revisit that game. And here's why. That was Clayton Thorson's freshman year. And I actually went back and diagrammed that game at the time. The amount of first down runs that were Justin Jackson directly into the line, it was nearly every first down run play of the entire game. But here's why I want to revisit that. And I don't have, you know, I wish that I had the full game tape of Iowa and I could sit down and I could really pour over this so that I would know. But here's where I'm going with this. And I've got a couple different ways to to present this information. But here's the first question I want to pose to you. Ask yourself how much play action you saw in Saturday's game. Not RPO, not plays that were specifically designed to have an option look 
or a throw out to the flat look. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about traditional play action, a fake handoff followed by a throw. We didn't have much of it. You know why we didn't have much of it? Because Hunter would have had to make that call at the line. When Fitz said in his post-game press conference that there were roughly 15 plays that were runs that could have been run as passes, that wasn't smoke. He wasn't just throwing Hunter under the bus to give McCall a pass. That was true, and it comes out on tape. Here's the easiest way to to present this, okay? A lot of people mentioned, people on the Rivals board were talking about the fact that we have referred to Hunter Johnson as a Ferrari. And with good reason. We believe that he he is the Ferrari of quarterbacks in terms of raw tools and raw potentials. So I want you to think of it this way. Imagine you have that Ferrari. And behind the wheel of that Ferrari is a 16-year-old with, let's say, half of his driver's ed classes under his belt. Now, there's an antenna on the roof of that Ferrari also, and you're holding a remote control. And you have the option to remote drive this Ferrari at any time you see fit. And we should mention at this point that Dad is standing over on the side And it's very clear from anyone who's watched Dad at any of the three games of this season that Dad would just as soon see the Ferrari stay in the garage. So what you choose to do here is very important. You could remote control the Ferrari. Now, you won't be behind the wheel of the Ferrari, so it's certainly not going to be as successful as if the kid was driving the Ferrari himself. But, on the other hand, This kid does not have much experience driving a car. So what do you do? Well, here's the thing. This quickly becomes a rhetorical question. Because you may have a thought of whether you should remote control the car and let the kid drive. But the moment the kid jumps the curb with the Ferrari for the first time, that goes out the window. You're remote controlling the car from the rest of that point on. And you know what? We don't do that. All of those plays were runs because Hunter didn't audible into passes. And when I say didn't audible into passes, it's not changing the play, it's changing the protection. And you can see it on film. There are situations where he goes to the line and based on what he sees, he can simply tell the offensive lineman, you'll be pass blocking here because I'm throwing it. And he didn't. There's a play at the start of the second quarter where a drive where Hunter's completed like four passes and drawn a long pass interference pass, uh, a long pass interference penalty to Ben Skoranek completely short circuits. And on the play where it officially short circuits, you watch Hunter hand the ball off to Isaiah Bowser and immediately throw his hands down in frustration. He's not throwing his hands down in frustration because Hunter's getting stuffed at the line. He's throwing his hands down in frustration because he's watching Kyrick McGowan go wide over, wide open over the center of the field. It was there and he didn't see it. And you know what? Hunter doesn't see those things right now. So what do you do? 
call the play action from the booth and let the kid work. Don't throw him under a bus because he's not there yet in terms of his ability to make reads. And if your defense at the end of a game in which you ran way too many runs and no play action is that the quarterback with almost no game experience should have made all those calls at the line, he's not the problem. The system is the problem. Well, let's compound that with the opponent that we played on Saturday. Michigan State is maybe the most aggressive defense in the country (laughs) pursuing the run. Guess what? They also were allowing something like zero point whatever rush yards per play coming into this game. Why was the plan to run at all? Right. Last year, yeah, that, that that goes back to, to what I was saying earlier. Yeah, I mean it's, it's ridiculous, especially when you consider the last couple seasons when we had monster passing games against Michigan State, and you know in, even in, in, tw- like, in twenty eighteen, just to belabor that point, twenty eighteen, we ran the ball twenty times the entire game. Right, and that's the thing. We were like, above that halfway through the third quarter this time. If all of those fifteen runs had been passes, the ratio would have been perfect. But why are we, like, it's like, just call it from the line. Hunter, like, I can't even, like, he has problems reading the field and making decisions right now. Like, there are plays where he left uncovered wide receivers open, okay? There were multiple plays. The drive after the drive that I mentioned, there are three plays in a row where your instinct is, oh my God, did we really just run twice and then throw a screen pass? And that was our whole, and like, uh, and then the, a swing pass to Isaiah Bowser, and that was the offense. But then you watch Hunter come over to the sideline and Fitz choose him out on the sideline. And you're like, why would a quarterback who just handed the ball off twice and throw, then threw a five-yard flat pass be getting chewed out by his coach because they weren't supposed to be those plays. And, but it's like, so, okay, you've got a quarterback who's played one full game in his career. Like, guess what? He's not seeing it. The guy can run like a deer and throw the ball a country mile, but at this point, he's not capable of making these reads. You have to help him along. And it's like, like ESPN put up this poll, right? most to least successful transfer quarterbacks, you can imagine how it reads. There are 23 spots, and you can see where I'm going with this before I even say it, right? But then ask yourself, do we know for sure that it's because Hunter's the 23rd best of these guys, or is he being given the least chance to succeed because the difficulty curve in this offense is so steep? It's, you, you ask yourself, is this why... We were playing TJ Green over Hunter Johnson because our offense is so dependent on a quarterback who can make all this stuff happen at the line. That seems like a scheme problem to me. And you know, let, let, let's go in. Let's go into that for a second because you know, if if you know that you have a scheme problem, and you've got a guy who in Hunter Johnson with all of these uh, all these skills that have not that do not necessarily mesh with the scheme that Northwestern has been running for the past however many years why wouldn't you change the scheme to meet to match up with the players that you have and 
you know, th- this is a really, in- this is really interesting because, you know, we heard from several people, uh, very close to the team, uh, both during and after the game that the Northwestern offense has not changed at all. The, the, the play calling is the same. It, it's like people who have been in the system know exactly what they're seeing and are calling plays before they happen because they're seeing the lineups, they're seeing signals, and, you know, someone so, who so, played so, on the team five years ago should not be able to call the plays from the from the stance. I'm sorry. Well, here, well, here's the interesting thing, though. Like, last week coming off of UNLV, we were all excited because we were seeing an offense that was more tailored to, to Hunter's skill set. We were throwing the ball downfield. We were in- integrating the RPO. We were we were bringing spread concepts and moving away from this um, kind of truculent running style, and it's almost like that game went well enough. We convinced ourselves that we could that we could run on Michigan State, but what, like where were all the mesh routes that we used to scheme guys open um, all of last year? I might add where where were where were the throws that weren't like straight down the line, um, the back shoulders, the, the, uh, the medium outs, the, you know, the, the, the play to McGowan where, where against UNLV, where Hunter hit him right at the sideline on a 15 yard pass. Like we didn't do anything downfield, um, at all in this game. And Michigan, Michigan state basically could line up their entire defense within five yards of the line of scrimmage. And we had no answer for it. And, and, and it, it felt entirely like a preparation problem because we came into the game planning to, to run and then, and then work off of that. I like, you can't work off of that if there's no threat. I just, I like everything seemed to be backwards in this game from, from the perspective of who we were playing. And then when that wasn't working to, to the points you guys just made, we, we basically, well, Hunter, you figure it out. And, or it's, in the fourth quarter, hey Hunter, take a bench. Let's see what Aiden Smith can do. Jesus Christ! Like, um, before we get to that, like, I, I just, I, I don't understand what planet McCall was operating on, given how he's game planned for Michigan State the last two years. This was, this was not the plan two years, like last year or the year before. This was, like, we, we didn't go into the game last year just planning to run the ball. And, and well, and, and and if we did, like, God bless Clayton Thorson because he's a lot better than any of us realized. Well, so it's funny. I really wanted to go back and find full game tape of last year's Michigan State game, and all I could find were like the highlights. But I went looking for a couple of other games, like the Big Ten Championship game, where there's longer tape, and you can watch Clayton at the line in that game coming up. Then walking up to the line and pointing and being like, and saying things. And part of it's like shouting out protections, but he also like had the knowledge and the ability to be like, Hey, let's, let's shift this. I don't like this. We're going run here. Or I don't like this. I'm checking off to a pass here. Right. And it's like, but just to not adjust that offense at all when you're going from a fourth, a four year starting guy to, to this brand new guy. And it's like, okay. We know from past experience that there's some hubris involved in our approach to the run game, and Scuzz alluded to it a second ago. But there is some truth to the fact that we've talked about it, and it's not smoke and mirrors. The, the run blocking is good, and we have a good stable of backs. 
Um, again, the, the numbers don't really don't back it up in this game because, as we knew, as good as our whatever our offense is running the ball, Michigan State neutralizes that and more. This is an epically good run defense. I mean, one of the best. You and, will... and yet, Drake went for ninety-one yards. So much. Isaiah went for forty yards. I mean, but I mean, yes, a lot of that was in garbage time late, but still. The well, Drake's yards were mainly the garbage time yards. Um, Isaiah, I mean, he it was all on one twenty-one yard run. And as that run happened, we were up in the stands going, I'm not going to like this run when the next five plays are runs because this <laughs> run worked. <laughs> and then we immediately stuffed it into the line, the play after that. And I was like, there's one. And I was like, but, but so the, the, this is a long way of saying the run game outside of Michigan state is good. And you can see someone going down this misguided decision tree. Where it's like, well, we always want to have the ability to run. So let's have this scheme where we have a bunch of plays that start as run plays. But the quarterback can check protection at the line. The wideouts, instead of run blocking, will have pre-programmed routes. And then the quarterback will make a read on what he sees at the line of scrimmage and work off that. And it's like, okay, great. But the minute, to my point earlier, the minute that Ferrari jumps the curb and you're like, Hunter is not doing this. It might seem well, very and simple. John, you know, we we saw this. The one person who did make an adjustment at the line, which was even more troubling, was when Drake went up yeah. to change the protection. And, well, and that was one of those things, right? Where it didn't seem that much at the time, but in hindsight, there was a play where I was like, "Yes, Drake's going up because." And again, this is some speculation, but it sure all seems to fit together. Where it's like. Drake is going up and pointing something out to the line that in a perfect world, your quarterback is going up and pointing that out. Right. And, but here's the point. It's like, what can Hunter do? Run all over the field, make any throw. It's so hilarious to me still that like the focus during the game was, was like Greg McElroy was doing the game and he devoted this whole segment to this one pass Hunter threw that was incomplete and it was preying on this narrative that Hunter's big problem is throwing inaccurate balls. Quarterbacks miss sometimes. Trust me, this is not the issue. The drive he spent so much time, Hunter was otherwise like four of five on that drive, plus a long pass interference. Making the throws isn't his issue. If you're a wide receiver right now at Northwestern, I have a hunch if you're frustrated with Hunter, it's not because he missed you. It's because he missed you like you were open and then you watched him dump it into the flat to Isaiah Bowser because he just made a one read decision and it's like well I I will say I will say his checkdowns do leave a little bit to be desired I mean he's you know checkdown should be in just easy pitching well well that's well yeah and I mean like but like whether it's like whether it's a, a middle route or whether something he tends to lock on to something but he like this isn't Mitch Trubisky on a Monday night for the Chicago Bears, okay? Like it's college. You can scheme around this. If you've got a guy who makes better throws than just about every other guy, you just call a variety of plays. You simplify the routes. You're like, here's a long, here's a short. We're gonna roll you out and you're gonna throw deep. I'm like, look, I'm not an offensive coordinator, but I'm saying 
I'm watching a lot of other teams with very inexperienced quarterbacks find ways to make this work by putting their their quarterback in a system to be successful. Whereas we just seem to be like, well, our difficulty curve is nine. And when you get it, you'll have it. But you don't have it now, and we're just going to keep throwing you into the wall. So here's a really tangible, interesting component to that. Because one of the critiques of how college offenses have developed over the last five or six years, especially as it pertains to QBs being ready for the NFL is the advent of half field reads of systems, especially air raid based systems that are designed so that the QB can look at the alignment of the safeties and say, my reads are on the right side of the field. My reads are on the left side of the field. I don't need to look to the other one. It speeds up their decision-making. It um, reduces the, the, the chance for uh, sacks and interceptions, and it's, it is a mechanism to simplify the offense. Is it the best way to develop a quarterback for the NFL? No. Is it the best way to develop a quarterback for your program? Maybe, maybe not. But there's, there's something very real here that when you see freshman QBs, you know, bombing Stanford for, you know, however many yards after we struggle to do it, there is a scheme component to that that um, does not seem to be happening in Northwestern. And so, let, let I mean, let's get to the, the I, I guess, cut to the chase here, right? We've buried the lead a, bit, a little bit. Like, as we have believed for roughly the last 10 years, like, Mick McCall is not always the worst, but he should not be our offensive coordinator at this stage. It's been it's been too long. There's been too many hiccups. There's you, we heard it we heard it directly from Dan Persa last year when we spoke to him about how uncreative the offense has been, how it it hasn't evolved. We've continued to hear that from from folks close to the program. We've got you know friends of um, prominent Northwestern fans that that come to the game they haven't seen much northwestern this year they're able to call the plays they're identifying that we went after the exact same player on defense seven times because we're afraid about uh willikies on, on one side of, of michigan state's line well of course we're afraid of him what so now not only are we trying to run against the best rush defense in college football we're also doing it against the exact in the exact same side of the defense in the exact same formations in the exact same way because we're worried about the guy they have on the left what? Well, it's funny to to your point, right? Like we haven't even brought up the thing that I think a lot of fans, especially casual fans, immediately focus on when they think of this offensive performance in this game, which was the goal line situation, right? Or early on in the oh, game. Boy. Yeah. Um, the, you know what's funny about that? Were the plays were the plays rough? Sure. Now, the the second down play, I'll say okay. Um, Let's say you want to try it once. You try it once. You know what? All the players were picked up except one guy, and his name's Joe Batchy. And our guy, uh, Bowser, is pretty good. But you know what? Joe Batchy had him one-on-one and made an unbelievable play that is characteristic of everything that this guy does and stopped it. And then we ran the same play again. And on the first play, it was well-blocked. And we got a one-on-one situation, and their guy's awesome, he makes a play. The second time, you can see the whole defense go, oh my god, they're running it again. And they just swarm the play. And you're like, that's what happens when they thought, and then the same play, and it's like, 
a quarterback sneak in there somewhere? Sure. A play action to get your quarterback going? I mean, that would certainly be nice. Some sort of design play to a super back or something. But naked, ma- naked boot, you know, just right. get, get him moving. Right, get him moving, well, get him confident. Don't, don't, maybe not a speed option. I don't know. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah, I, 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 so those who have listened for a long time know my wife is, is a graduate of Notre Dame. We were watching the Notre Dame-Georgia game that night. And... Um, and let's be clear. I didn't watch for very long before I went to bed. Saturday was a rough day, man. Um, I just, I could, I couldn't, I couldn't continue to hang, but they knew Notre Dame went into that game knowing they were not going to be able to run against Georgia, especially that they weren't going to be able to run up the middle. So everything they did was designed to get speed to the edge. And they did, you know, they had a, a fun shovel pass to their tight end, uh, who was, who was going in motion. They, they were, they were, they were attacking in an intelligent way based on the the defense they were facing, and it's the opposite of what we did. Yeah, I just, I mean, and you know the funny thing about this? I went and I looked at that at that play. You can quibble over the play, Carling. You can also call it karma because somehow we made it from wherever we recovered that muffed punt all the way to the one without completing a pass. And the odds of us doing that were so small that it's almost like Karma was like, all right, you get to the one, and if you're really going to continue to do this, you're not getting into the end zone. Um, because to that, and to that point, when you look at the first time our offense actually touched the ball, then the punt, then the muff, and then the recovery, that entire series of time, which led to us failing on a fourth and one at the one yard line. We completed one pass, and it was just a short little gimme pass. Uh, t- you know that Hunter threw, I think, on the first or second pass of the game. Um, it was basically a, a, it, was, it wasn't anything, and the idea that we just ran into the teeth of this just monster and made it all the way down to the one. That and then our our takeaway was like, well, we just got one more yard. Let's run a slow developing run play. The monster is like, no, that was a miracle. You got this far, uh, and now I'm gonna gobble you up. But yeah, I uh, and it's it's just it, it, the the one other thing, and I sort of have, have mentioned it briefly, but haven't totally is there was a drive that went really well, and it was the drive that ended the first half and began the second half. It was a long drive. There were multiple completed passes. I think Hunter completed. He he began. He made a poor decision. He forced the ball into tight coverage as he does. It was almost. Do, do inter- you mean and do you mean ended the first quarter and begin the second quarter? That's what I meant. I'm sorry. sorry. You yeah. said you said halves, and I was confused. No, yeah, not halves. Yeah, end of the first quarter, beginning of the second quarter. I'm sorry. Um, and. Hunter, you know, he began by forcing a ball into tight coverage. It was almost intercepted. That's his problem is locking onto a guy and forcing it in. He he then threw three, I think, beautiful passes right into tight coverage, hit guys in the hands, moved the ball down the field, threw a pass high, which led to this deep analysis of his throwing motion. And then I think it was like either the next play or the play after that threw that beautiful ball to Skoranek that led to the P.I. At the moment we had that pass interference call, we were in great shape. And the next three plays were like a run, another run, 
And even in that situation, after two inexplicable runs that in hindsight were plays that should and could have been passes, and had they just been called from the booth passes, we probably score on that drive. Well, even- well the, the first of those, just to interject, the first of those I, I believe was the the RPO, yes, where which is like we, that. We, it's that we fake the handoff RPO, and, yes, and then basically through like a wide receiver um, you, screen. You off can of watch. An RPO. You can watch Joe Batchy almost cover three guys on that play. He's like Hunter, then Pitchman, then goes out and helps tackle the wide receiver, and you're like, well, that's not going to work yeah. at all today. Um, and you know what? Even with all of that, that drive only ended because for the second time in three games, Berkeley Holman got interfered with on a route. And it was Hunter threw a perfect pass and there was it was a deep post. It was like a ten yard end post and the defensive back held Holman going into the post part of the route and it slowed him up and he still should have made the catch but he was interfered with if he's not grabbed there he catches that in stride and goes into the end zone the point is hunter was submarined by his own ability to call stuff correctly at the line and he still almost bailed himself out with his raw ability to throw the ball and instead of trying to let him bail himself out with his raw ability to throw the ball for the rest of the game. We let him continue to make the same handoff mistake again and again. And it's like, uh, well, and he clearly, you know, that, that interception happens, gives Michigan state the opportunity to score a touchdown to go up at going into half. I'm sure Hunter heard it. He comes out and goes basically three and out four and out on the next four drives, uh, throws, uh, Oh, and I guess I guess that four I guess goes three and out the next three drives, and then that's when we bring in Aiden Smith. And like my God, the poor kid's confidence at this stage. Um, he obviously didn't react well to that interception, and maybe you know maybe maybe that's a little bit on him. He's got to flush it as uh, as our staff likes to stay likes to say. He's got to get over that. Um, but then we went to this kind of strange scenario where we've brought in the backup, and and I guess it was. I mean, we weren't going to win the game at that stage, but at the same time, the the messaging doesn't feel phenomenal either. I don't know. It was, and you know what? You talked about confidence. It feels a little toxic right now because when Fitz brought Hunter over to the sideline, the play I was talking about where Hunter handed off a couple times and Fitz brings him over and is like, you know, like, I'm not a lip reader, but he's basically like, what are you doing? Like, did you see what you did wrong there? And you can see... The the conversation does not go particularly well because Hunter's response – I mean, again, I think Hunter's a confident guy who's not seeing some things right now. But again, this is a guy who's been one of the best quarterbacks in the country at his age level for a long time now. And I think he's he's got a confidence and a cockiness to him, right? And he's not seeing some things out there. So his response to Fitz saying that was like, oh, I'm pointing inside something. And Fitz has this reaction of just like – uh, like controlled rage of just being like, don't you come back at me with this right now. And then you dovetail it with Fitz's response in, you know, was it this morning's press conference where Oof. someone, someone asked him what, so what'd you talk about with Hunter after the game? And Fitz was like, no, we didn't have a discussion. I talked and he didn't respond 
or said something like, I, I responded, I didn't listen to what he had to say. His job was to listen. And I was like, oh, boy. This did, is... did you did you email hashtag I don't care yeah. oh, <laughs> with your God. concerns? I was, I mean, it was, but I mean, it was one of those things where it's like, yes, I mean, lost in the just Fitzian, ama- just unbelievable. Just hand him the Oscar right now for the performance today. Incredible. But, um, but just my read on that was like, boy, oh, boy, it does not sound like these two people are the best of friends right now. And I'm like... Man, oh man, like I, you know, yes, I can, like, Hunter has real weaknesses. There were plays where the wide, there are, like I said, wide receivers are frustrated because they're open and he's not finding them with the ball. But man, the solution is not to go to the next man up. Um, I mean, with all due respect to Aiden Smith, who again, was a decorated high school quarterback. But, I mean, his first interception came on that screen pass where it's just like, well, Aiden's in, so we got to get him going because he's totally cold and has no feel for the flow of this game. So give him a screen pass. And Michigan State was sitting there being like, I bet you they're going to give him a screen pass. <laughs> and they jumped it like crazy. Um, and it's like, I mean, poor Aiden. I mean, the guy was just thrown to the wolves. But, um, but man, it, it helps nobody. I mean, I get it. Yeah, like you want to get him reps, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the whole relief pitcher thing and everything, and it's like – you got to give this kid something to work with. He's got real shortcomings. You've got to work to his strengths. Come on. I, I don't want to dwell on this too much longer because, you know, we do have this weekend's game yeah, to let's, talk about. Let's, let's, yeah. move, let's move on. Yeah, let's do it. Um, you know, Wisconsin, because that, that, that's a team that we can definitely uh, get excited about um, going, to, going up to – Camp it's, Randall to you know take on a team that just obliterated Michigan. Yeah, I so I reposted our I reposted our summer preview, um, and when I when I reposted it on the Rivals board, I kind of said, you know, you can't take anything away from the Badgers; they've done nothing wrong this year. On the other hand, loosely, the first two games kind of went how we thought they were going to go, and then this Michigan game. What can I say? I mean, they did awesome. I don't know what the hell Michigan is right now. Um, Here, so I, I'm going to quibble with that a little bit because I'm I've you're you're I, I in mean, on the you're in on Bucky now. Well, I'm in on them in this particular way. Like like what we know about Michigan is that their offense sucks and their defense remains extremely talented. And for Jack Cohn to do what he did against Michigan, um. I'm impressed. And that was, that was one of my big question marks, right? Like Cone looked bad last season. Us and everybody else were talking about this guy being on a short leash this year. Graham Mertz, highest rated recruit in, in quarterback recruit in Wisconsin history, taking over at some point during the season because Cone is struggling. Everyone was expecting that. Mertz said a couple weeks ago, I think that he's planning to redshirt this year. And I even tweeted, I was like, that's interesting. We'll see if, if that holds up once big 10 season gets here. And then Jack Cohn goes out and, you know, I, I, I realized that Jonathan Taylor a, did, did the lion's share of the work, but it was a, it was a Tolzine esque line from Jack Cohn. Let's just he say. was, he was 13 of 16 with an eight yards per clip yards per attempt average. Those, those numbers are all better than anything Tolzine ever did. Oh, I mean, it's, it's, it help. I mean, it's it's a very clean line. He, I'm not, again, he but 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 the biggest thing is he's he's not checkdown artist right now. 
Oh, and, well, well, and he's got the ability to run some of that sweet play action with deep developing yep. routes. I wish we were doing that. But to yeah. be able to do that against Michigan is really damn impressive. And when you also factor in what they lost three players on the offensive line, um, I certainly getting Quintez Cephas back has, has been a big boost to their offense um, as, as I believe he's their leading receiver now. But I am, I, I am in on the Badgers as not as like a national champion contender or anything like that. I certainly don't think that they're going to, you know, continue to, to completely dominate teams the way that they did through the first uh, what is that? Eleven quarters of the season now, but um, but to me, they are clearly in the driver's seat for the Big Ten West, um, and they they look the part, right? They look like the Wisconsin of two, three, four years ago, as opposed to what we saw last season. They do again. It's like I I don't want to take anything away from them because, like you said, what have they done? That they shouldn't have done here. They've done every- obliterate Michigan. Right. I mean, they, that, they, that, that was the that right. was the big test. Right. And it's like on the other hand, it's like we were pretty half full on Michigan with that Army game, with respect to the potential quality of Team Army is. But the truth is, Army. I don't know. I, I, Army- I believe I was on record saying I've got qualms about Michigan. Well, so. The truth is, though, Army should have scored a deciding touchdown in that game that they basically gave away. And they put up 260-plus rushing yards. Now, again, that's where Army's bread is buttered. But you take away the fact that, like, Michigan sucked in their bowl game defensively. And I'm kind of like, like, Michigan's the 20th-ranked team in the country right now. And I'm like... That's crazy. I know. And I'm like, that is laundry love right there. And I'll be really curious to see where they go. And it could be that we're evaluating. I, I mean, when I posted the summer preview again, I was like, we were definitely really wrong on one of our summer previews. But I'm not sure if it's Michigan or it's Wisconsin right now. But with all that said, Wisconsin's playing awesome football right now. Like, they're playing great. They're playing the kind of game they want to play, and they're playing really well. This idea that they are absolute world beaters right now, again, we're part of this group of great run defenses that they have to play this season that are going to shake out what they really are. We thought Michigan was part of that group. Michigan had to turn over just about their whole defense, and we kind of just figured that they would be all right based on past history. Maybe they're not. We don't really know. But we know Wisconsin's going to come out run the ball as hard as they can, work the play-action game with Cohen off that, and he's going to target Cephas deep, and they're going to play good, if not excellent, defense. Um, and, you know, this is a team, and, and they're on the, and we have to go on the road to them. Again, it's like, this is a bad situation. I think people are looking at it as the worst possible situation right now, but that's indicative of us. Like, if we were playing well... The fact that Wisconsin had beaten Michigan the way they did would not make me feel nearly as bad, but we're not. So this, I'll be honest, um, and this is this is hyperbolic, so I'm going to say that up front, but I feel going into this game the way I felt going into the 2010 matchup at Wisconsin to end the season. Uh, I guess it wasn't to end the season. It was, it was um, yeah, yeah, it was the last game of the year. This was after the Wrigley Field game. Uh, if you recall, Dan Persa uh, was was injured and no longer playing. 
and we went up to Wisconsin and Monty Ball and all everybody remember, else on that I, team. All I remember from this game is Venrick Mark returned to kickoff for a yeah, touchdown. I remember nothing else about that game, Scott. <laughs> well, everything was going in one direction. <laughs> well, uh, no, not quite. Not no, no, quite. This is not this in, is, not, not at Wisconsin. No. Oh, oh, everything was going in one direction. <laughs> Yeah. No, you're not uh, but, wrong though, Sam. Everything was going in one direction in the Wisconsin game. So that game ah, yes, yes, yes. that game ended 70 to 23. Yes, it did. Um it was an absolute embarrassment. I am I am concerned that this Saturday could finish similarly. Ironically, um that game and this game, the line uh is Wisconsin by 23 in both of them. So that's an interesting uh dovetail there, but I am, I am quite like if 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 our offense looks like it did against Michigan State, and I don't know how good Wisconsin's run D is. Um, I know that Michigan's offense was extremely unsophisticated and uncreative, and Wisconsin gobbled them up. If Northwestern plays in that same vein, in that same form, we will lose this game on the order of seventy to something. Like it, like it will be. It will not be good. Um, now, historically, Northwestern has performed better against Jonathan Taylor uh, than anyone. Yeah, uh, we've we've held him under 100 yards the two times that we faced him. Uh, you know whether or not our defense can get over the, some of their tackling woes and and step up in that space. Um, we we can certainly we can. We can play with this Wisconsin team. We we, kn- like, we know for a fact their defense is not as good as it was two or three years ago, and we have the talent on our defense to match up with their offense. The question is: is are we going to bring the right scheme and preparation that allows that to happen, or are we going to play, you know, whatever the effort was on offense that is going to leave our defense out to dry again? Right. The last last year, Wisconsin came to Evanston with the same quarterback, the same running back, and a better offensive line than the one they have right now. It's like it's not about the talent. It's about one of these teams is executing really well right now, and the other team can't seem to get out of its own way. And it's like, well, well I think you could make a lot of parallels between Hunter Johnson right now and Jack Cohn last year. Fair and and the the reverse situation of. You know, Jack got some got some time under his belt, and then had a whole off season to to hone his craft in that system. And maybe the truth of the matter is that's what Hunter needs. Yeah, I mean, again, it's like, yeah, the I mean, the reps will. I mean, <laughs> coaches will tell you. I mean, again, I'm maybe I'm being glass half full, but I've I I do believe because I God I can I can't imagine going how far back. All of our quarterbacks have picked it up over time. Like all the guys we've gone with, they all get better over time. I mean, the the one exception would be the whole Simeon Coulter thing, which went off the rails for its own set of reasons because we just juggled those guys and kept juggling, kept juggling. But in every Tele- other telegraphing, right? Yeah. But in, right. But in every other situation, in terms of like the quarterback's ability, and you know, given everything we talked about earlier, you can kind of see why eventually things start to make sense and the incredible, like the apparent difficulty of our offense becomes easier to process. So it's like, it's going to click for Hunter eventually. It helps if he can stay in games. Here's my question. How much quicker would it have, would it be clicking for Hunter had he gotten all the number one reps in spring and summer? (sighs) Yeah. 
I I, 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 I mean that not not to go back and you know re- rehash that again. That that just popped into my head. Is like you know, but you know, it's like here's like your the answer is absolutely it would have made a difference. But can't you visualize it in your mind? Can't you visualize all these situations where there's like a defense on the other side and TJ Green's walking up to the line and barking out reads and calling coverages and then Hunter's coming in and given like being asked to run the exact same system is not barking out the reads and is not barking out the coverages and shifting the plays and everything. Can't you like I can envision a situation where you're like, well, it's TJ, I guess. He sure has the command of the situation, you know, like, or like you're talking that yourself into that kind of situation. So it's like, yeah, totally. He should have been the guy. Uh, but what, well, 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 it's interesting to juxtapose that against what we did with Thorson his freshman year, which we, we, we drove that remote control car and we, and we told it, you will not go. You, you will hand off yeah, or you will I, run. Well, um, that's the thing. I sure wish I could know exactly how the game plan of that Iowa game compared to this possible yeah. game, but whatever it is, it, it, it ain't good, Bob. <laughs> well, well it was, it, it, it's funny the, not to circle back to this, but the way we talked about the defense in that 2015 Iowa game, because our defense was phenomenal that year. And they got absolutely lit up by Iowa. They got lit up the week before by Michigan. And in both cases, those games were reasonably close at halftime. I think maybe a score or two. And in the second half, our offense, three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out. And the defense got got washed away. Um, And that's exactly what happened last weekend. So, you know, with that in mind, that same thing could happen against Wisconsin. We could could also see something slightly different. You know, maybe Hunter had a horrible day. Last week, maybe he's made some progress in the film room. I, I agree with you, John, that like more reps would help him. I don't, I don't know that it would have made a difference at this stage, um, but I, I have heard um, some people talking about last season and how Hunter didn't really get a chance to learn our offense last season. He spent, he spent the whole year running the scout team, and you know, and maybe that, maybe that would have been the case anyway. Like you know, being the redshirt transfer. Um, or being, being that he had to sit out a transfer year, like he, you know, he wouldn't have had, we wouldn't have given him those reps. We needed to give it to players that would actually have been backing up Clayton Thorson. But there's, there's, you know, I think we've all been operating a little bit on the idea of like, oh, Hunter's been in the system for a year already. He's got more tread on his tires, uh, or he's got less tread on his tires. I guess would be the correct analogy there. Um, because we've been running him through the system, and the reality is maybe we haven't as, nearly as much as we thought. Yeah, no. I think it's funny to juxtapose what you were talking about with, you know, relative to Cone and, and Cone's potential improvement. Um, I was thinking about, you know, what he's going to be trying to do in this game. And I think one thing beyond the obvious thing with Taylor is it's it's kind of easy to think like glass half full and be like, well, our defense, which we've watched this group of guys, again, with Jordan Thompson for at least part of that. But still, this basic group of guys do really well in very many games against the run. So let's say they do a better than expected job, at least given what everyone's, the tea leaves everyone seems to be reading, a better than expected job against Jonathan Taylor, and they bottle him up to a degree like we did last year. Um, I'm really worried about Cephas and Cohen's ability to connect and what Daryl Stewart was able to do against our secondary last last week. And I think it was a combination of a couple of things. One, Trey Williams being out, and he's still out. 
um, and AJ Hampton and you know Rod Campbell, etc., um, having difficulty staying with him. And it was a combination of two things: one, um, them staying away from Greg Newsom, who has done a pretty good job of coverage, and because you highlighted it last week, um, and but they've they they were really good at one when we were in a base set going against the other guy getting Stewart over to that other guy and when we were in that 326 look just running him into space where just running him dragging him right across his own coverage and being like look if you're going to give us the time we'll just put him into space and the guy you know the guys basically it's just a way of saying like we've got some guys that need to work on their zone coverage and their man coverage and you know, you could see situations where, especially, you know, out of play action, Cephas is able to, to get deep and, and do some real damage here. Should we talk about uh, the rest of the Big Ten? I, I, I feel like I, I kind of want to. Charlie yeah. Kubander, his last can, can four. It, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, we, we have ne- definitely neglected uh, Charlie's. Uh, we didn't mention it last week, so we should mention it this week, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Charlie's been playing really, really well. And, and he really has, too. Give him credit. Reading that putt br- that uh, putt break on that kick, boy, oh, boy, that thing uh, that thing uh, was a parabola. Like, we were, Sam, we were, he was coming out, and sit, we were looking at each other being like, he's kicking this into, like, a lateral wind that is going to push this ball. And he cheated it. I mean, he kicked it to the right of the, of the post, and watched it hook back in. I mean, he's this is a kid who had woes last year, missed his first, and now he's made his last four, including a really high degree of difficulty kick. So yeah, okay. and and with that one, like the wind blowing against him too. You know, like I have not seen a kick die like that. I mean, it's yeah. like the trajectory is good, and then it just like draw like the wind blowing in at Wrigley pushes the balls back <laughs> in. That football was getting that, pushed back. He, he kicked that into a hurricane, and he got it in. So, yeah. And punting, you know, Kubiak continues to look good punting the ball. I mean, it's we've got good special teams. Well, um, we got kicker punter. Let's not talk about the returns. Yeah, oh, yeah. Fair yeah. catches. That, uh... Yeah. So, I just, I like, I guess one last depressing comment before we move on. And that, <laughs> And that's that, you know, we we came into this season looking at the landscape of the Big Ten West and saying, look, everybody has giant question marks. We've got a question mark, too, in that, you know, we expect our, our QB to play well for a variety of reasons. And if he does, there's a lot of potential reason to be excited about Northwestern football in 2019. That has not eventuated. Um, technically, Northwestern is unblemished in the Big Ten West, so... Everything much, is still, much like last season. Yeah, much like last season. Everything is still there for the taking. Um, the reality is the mountain looks a hell of a lot steeper to climb. And I think we are we are the success of this season, if we recalibrate expectations at this stage, is much more about attaining bowl eligibility than it is uh, contending in the West. And we we can talk about how much of an indictment that is of the coaching staff, et cetera, down the track, but I just I think it's important for us to re to revisit that prediction just a little bit um, based on what we've seen to date. Yeah, and and, and you got to be looking down the road and being like, 
four out of five of the last five, if not five out of five, remains incredibly doable. And you've got to put yourself, you got to look at the next four games and be like, what can we possibly do over these four games to help ourselves, to put ourselves in a position where we don't have to win all five of those to make a bowl? Anything Being above Nebraska. that? Yeah. Well, of course, Sam, obviously. Um, but, <laughs> but, and, and everything else above that is, is, is what you can get. I mean, we're, we are heading directly into this hurricane that's for four straight games. Um, and three straight games and Nebraska, but I'm not to throw shade. We're on the road in Lincoln for that game, and it's a it's a brutal stretch of football. And well, one well, and if I can just you know the the difference between Wisconsin, Ohio State, Iowa, and all the other teams on our schedule is rush defense, right? And this this Northwestern team looks a lot more adept at a dual threat running back quarterback rush offense Can, let's mention than anything else let's mention one thing though because i feel like it's getting lost a little bit and to your point it may not venture out at this time last year the offensive line was a mess and we were like what in god's name are we going to do with this line and then it got better and it came together Upon reviewing the film, one of the things that I noticed is pass pro was not as bad as it had appeared when I was watching the game. It wasn't good. This line does not pass block all that well. But they're not horrible at it. And they are a good run blocking offensive line. Michigan State is an NFL run defense. Joe Batchy, when he's, you know, to Sam's point earlier, playing for the New England Patriots and making everyone just lose their minds, uh, you'll remember this. But Wisconsin's great defense, Ohio State's, you know, great defense, Iowa's a great defense. We have six teams left on our schedule that are not good run defenses, to Scuzz's point. And, like, those guys are going to shine in those games. Like, Rest assured, they are. They're I'm gonna double, good. I'm, yeah. I'm going to double down on your comment for the sake of positivity, and that's that You know, I saw a lot of comments about how horrible the O-line was, and of course Hunter can't do anything. The O-line is terrible, and you know, I think your, re, your rewatch of the tape, um, you know, Willie Keys on, on Michigan State, I think had a couple series where he was pretty destructive. but He's uh, good. He's good at football. But, yeah. but, but your rewatch of the tape, you know, pass pro was, you know, serviceable, let's call it. I think people were looking at the running game and how much we were getting stuffed and, and attributing that to the O-line. But the reality was those tackles, those tackles were all being made by linebackers who were stepping up into the holes because they felt no threat from Northwestern's passing game. And they and Michigan State attacks downhill first and then and then recovers. That's, that's their strategy. They, they've outlined that in, in public conversations many, many times. That, that was not offensive linemen missing their their assignments or or getting pushed off their blocks or getting pushed around by the defense. That was Michigan State saying, "Oh, it's a running play. Let's bring eight and they're not being enough blockers and and the defenders just filling all the gaps." Right. Right. So it's like end end result like close your eyes, talk yourself into a situation where 5 or 6 weeks from now, 
right around the time we're heading to Indiana, Hunter's climbing on the horse and being like, oh, this whole thing's slowing down for me now. I get it now. Right around that time, the offensive line's like, oh my God, five straight defenses, we can steamroll. And it all comes together at the same time. And like so many Northwestern seasons before this one, we're like, how the hell is the team at the end of the season, the team at the start of the season? It can happen. Like, we all just have to discuss this point. Stay positive, positivity, we're going to get there. And then Mick McCall enters his 12th season as offensive coordinator. <laughs> the reality is, folks, if you want that to change, Northwestern's got to have a really no. bad year for that oh, to change. God. Oh, God. Uh, real quick, let, let's run, you know, run through last week in the Big Ten. Was there anything that stood out? Um, Ohio State's really goddamn good, folks. Yes. Uh, I, I said it last week. This team is far better coached and far more disciplined than any Urban Meyer team that ever touched the field in Columbus. I'm, I'm convinced. Yeah, you know, it's... Uh... Let's put it this way. It's not Steve Belisari who's going to be coming to uh, Evanston with this Ohio State team. It's going to be Justin Fields. Uh, oh, boy. Not exactly going to be the same deal. This is this is a team that's going to be loaded for bear when they come in October. But, yeah, they they are, it's not close right now who the best team in the conference is. Let's put that to rest. Yeah, we, we talked about Wisconsin-Michigan. Uh, Indiana beat up on UConn. Um, congratulations. BC beat up on Rutgers. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Nebraska, Illinois. Who boy. Defense, defense I, optional. Almost like someone said that game was going to be a defense optional shootout. I can't remember <laughs> who it was. Um, yeah. Was, <laughs> oh, my God. Um, I mean, basically, I mean, I, I feel so bad because I'm like, we've seemed to have such difficulty figuring out our own flipping team, and yet I seem to be able to handicap other teams in the conference. Like, could could Nebraska be any more the team that we said that they were going to be? Could Illinois be any more the team that we said they were going to be? This was just no no defense was played in this game. Ne- so- Nebraska amassed six hundred and seventy three yards yeah. in this game, and surprisingly, so Illinois got two twenty one on the ground, but only three hundred in total. Yeah, well, that was because their quarterback couldn't complete passes. <laughs> but then Adrian Martinez, two fumbles lost, Spielman fumble lost, Mills fumble lost. Like, Martinez, the fumble machine, is a thing. Mm-hmm. And Nebraska, the of uh, the of of they have no de- run defense, is also a thing. Yeah, this is, they are soft. I mean, they're, they're soft, and they had to mount a comeback to beat this Illinois team. Um, just crazy. Um, so congratulations, Nebraska one and zero in the big 10. It's all happening. And, and for the, well, love. well, well let's, let's put, put a pin in that for uh, just I'll, a second. I'll, I'll put, I'll put a pin in the power of Conagra and the corn lobby for a second. <laughs> um, so this week, uh, Friday night on FS one Penn state at Maryland. Um, boy, we're, we're, that's a good, that's a good game. I'm, uh, I, I'll be, Scuzz, your thoughts on that one. So, I am trying to triangulate whatever the hell we saw with Maryland in the first three weeks <laughs> yeah. with, with a Penn State team that has basically been what I thought it was. Like, essentially, they really struggled to beat 
to beat what I thought was a kind of weak pit. And then Pitt went and knocked off UCF, um, who's having weird quarterback troubles and such. And I know that they're not the team that they were a couple years ago, but um, it feels like Penn State is who we thought they were, a really talented team with some big-time questions at O-line and an extremely um, unexper- inexperienced quarterback and a coach who's not good on game day. Going to Maryland, like, man – Ooh, Maryland, Maryland in an upset would be pretty awesome. Feels doable. Uh, Penn State is six and a half point favorite in that one. Uh, Saturday, Northwestern at Wisconsin. I'm seeing a line at uh, Wisconsin by 24 now, uh, with an over under of 45 and a half. So uh, they're not expecting like Vegas is not expecting anything from the Northwestern offense. Nope. Wisconsin might score 45 on their own guys. They, yeah, they 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 certainly might. Uh, Middle Tennessee at Iowa. Okay, great. Yeah, move on. Yeah, whatever. Uh, Rutgers at Michigan. A couple <laughs> 0-1 teams in hey, the conference. Hey, let's see. Boy, oh boy. <laughs> this this one's gotten a lot more interesting. Let's put it that way. Uh, no. This is, no. Key, hey, this is hey, here for whatever Michigan is ailing Michigan. Let's see. Let's see. Michigan, you better win this one 45 nothing. You better. Uh, Indiana at Michigan State. Watch Indiana uh, knock them off. I know. Uh, this is going to be like Stanford all over again. I can they, feel it coming. They, yeah. Uh, yep. Watch Indiana knock them off. Uh, Minnesota at Purdue. Uh, well, well, sorry, Michigan State, a 14-point favorite over Indiana there. Uh, so Minnesota at Purdue. Do we have a healthy Elijah Sindelar for this game? Unknown. I do not know. If he plays, this is a good game. If he doesn't, mm-hmm. yeah, the the line is even right now. So I I, I don't know if that's there's no line because of Sindelar's question yeah, mark. Yeah, I, I, I think that's I think that's why. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Does Minnesota have any more horseshoes stuffed up their butt? Well, yeah. I, there is no line for Rutgers Michigan, so that that is that is the thing. The over under for Minnesota Purdue is fifty six, so maybe they are calling it a pickup. Yeah, possibly. And then. Um, for some inexplicable reason. Game day. Game day. Game day. I'm, to Lincoln. I'm just wanting, I'm just saying, if you doubt the power of ConAgra, Monsanto, etc., the corn lobby in this country, I'd just like to point out that Iowa State and this Nebraska team will have both hosted game day by the end of this weekend. Just want to point that out. Oh. Ohio uh, State, an 18-point favorite. I'm surprised it's that low, honestly. Uh, like, bo- yeah, oh, yeah, no. I I mean, the real question, it'll be interesting to see. Like, this is, you know, one of the first major tests for this Ohio State defense. I mean, Nebraska's Martinez is dynamic. He makes a ton of things happen. Including turnovers. Oh, right. And this Ohio State defense has three times the talent. With all due respect to Colorado, three times the defensive talent of any team Nebraska's played up until this point. And this offense, I mean, if Ohio State scored 70 last week, 70s is in play for this game. Let's put it that way. Uh, this this feels like, you know, I'm, I'm glad game day will be there to see it, but this feels like a bloodbath. 
Nebraska is going to wish that game day didn't come because this is going to put a spotlight on this game that is going to ensure that Ohio State shows up. And um, these two teams are not in the same stratosphere right now. I get why they did it. There's not a lot of other – I mean, other options would have been USC at Washington. Blech. Just um, well, and, Virginia, Virginia at Notre Dame could have like those are those are the only two ranked teams playing this week. So right, and just just remember after Nebraska takes this bloodbath, that Nebraska should be two and three with either a loss to Illinois or South Alabama on their resume. Uh, that's the team that's facing Ohio State this week. Um, nationally, anything else jumping out at you? I mean, you, you mentioned the two. Uh, ranked games coming up i mean yeah i mean if washington state hadn't crapped the bed they'd be four and oh going to utah um, yeah and probably ranked um for those who didn't notice they had a 49 to 17 lead over ucla and blew it uh only were a 52 to 17 lead oh 52 that makes it even more painful um yeah i don't know i i don't know I, this is this is where like my anger over the way things went last week for us and for a whole bunch of other games that I was I was keen on it just like it boils over and I'm I, I will be glued to college football this weekend as I always am but I'm I'm a bitter angry man right now I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> uh, John, anything jumping out at you? No, I mean it's USC for all the talk of you know Clay Helton first coach fired. They're three and one right now, and if they pulled off this massive upset against Washington, which is a game of two ranked teams right now, um, suddenly they're four and one, two and zero oh, with a major notch in their cap, and suddenly you know the whole narrative can flip just like that. But we'll we'll see what actually plays out in that one. Um, Clemson, North Carolina. No, let me just say Stanford beat Oregon State. Please just go to Oregon State and win. Can you give us that? Just give us that at least. Yeah. Um. Not not a wonderful week of kind of big name games. I mean, it's just the proverbial apple picker week. Yeah. Yep. We shouldn't belabor it. Yeah. Um. So before we get out of here, I do want to. Uh, Call some attention to Northwestern field hockey because oh hell yeah someone's yeah someone's this, stacking up wins yeah eight and two uh, one and zero oh in the Big Ten they're ranked eleven in the country uh, they took down Ohio State who's the twelfth ranked uh, Miami Ohio they're undefeated on the road um, they got a redshirt freshman Bente Baker's. Uh, had two hat tricks over the weekend. Um, Big Ten Freshman of the Week, Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week. Um, she's just playing out of her mind. Boy, halcyon days for Northwestern women's sports right now, man. I'm telling you, I can't remember when there have been this many awesome women's teams at the same time. And, and volleyball has exciting young talent. Field hockey playing really well. Um, spring sports dominant women's basketball final of the NIT um, hang on to moments like this when you're tearing your hair out about the current state of Northwestern you know football offense Northwestern sports overall particularly women's sports are looking really good and men's soccer is on a, a three-game win streak as well so 
that that's pretty cool. They went on the road and beat uh, defending national champion Maryland. Hold all of these facts close to your heart on Saturday morning. <laughs> so you're rocking back and forth. Repeat these mantras over and over. <laughs> well, that'll just about wrap it up for this week. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Pirates. And you can always email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics and look for us in the west side of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. John Lacombe and Eric Skousboy and Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.